Welcome to Reimagining Ceremonies, a podcast by Entheos. I'm Karen Dempsey. And I'm Fair Curtis, and we're here to start conversations about reimagining ceremonies. Hello, everybody. And I love when you get to the point in a season where you're like, I don't even know what episode it is. Um, I don't know what episode it is, but thank you for coming back and joining (laughs) us for this very special episode, because once again, we've been honored to have so many beautiful people come in and chat to us. So we're kind of staying on that vibe and we've invited Um, another guest in today who's going to introduce themselves in a couple of minutes. But first, hi, Karen. Hi, Fergal. (laughs) How are you today? I'm in a glass case of emotion today, but I'm actually pulling it all together for our podcast. Um, No, all really, really good. Um, Slightly hoarse after our big pride uh, march on Saturday, which was absolutely phenomenal. I'm still buzzing after all the lovely people that I met, all the familiar faces, all the people from social media that actually came to life um, and popped up and said hello instead of being just a little face online. Um, It It looked incredible. I couldn't be there. And Pride is an event I always try to make every year because it is like special to me. Um, Just because years ago was the first time I was like, I'm going to go out and all my glamour. And it kind of became this really special weekend to me to always kind of have a little reflection as well of where I'm at in my own personal journey, in particular being queer. Um, but I couldn't go last weekend because of work, um, but it looked incredible online. You were with us in spirit very, very much. Yes, definitely. And actually, just to name, when I mentioned I'm in a glass case of emotion, I should probably say that's because our previous guest, Robbie Lawler, had mentioned um, the movie How to Tell a Secret. And he told us to get it on uh, RT Player. Yes. And last night it was... It was on RTE and I stayed up late to watch it. Hence the glass case of emotion today. It is phenomenal. So if you haven't watched yeah. it yet, go and find it. It is. It's amazing. It's brilliant. Um, but let's get to our beautiful guest today. Um, so we're going to let them introduce themselves. But from my perspective, um, Pri is someone that I trained with. So mm-hmm. we're going to dive into a little bit around the training later um, but Pri, how are you today? Very nervous. Oh no, don't be. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't have my thoughts collected for some reason, but so I don't know what I'm going to speak. Yeah. So I'm going to surprise myself Ooh. as much as you and whoever is going to listen. Great. Well, that's we, your great gift, Pri. You yes. always surprise us with the amazingness you yes. come out with. And we have kind Twist of our yourself. anchors to the conversation of what we want to explore. But I think, in particular, with the episodes with James and Robbie. Um, it was such a surprise as to where they went. Even throwing back to when we had the episode with Renee, we had all our anchors of what we wanted to chat about and what we wanted to explore. But then the conversations just went to Ooh. these really special places. So yeah. I'd say throw throw those nerves out the window and let's just have a great <laughs> no L rules. chat. There's no rules. Um, I think the best place to start, though, is for you to introduce yourself okay. um, and who you are and how you came to be a celebrant with Entheus. Okay. Um, I My background predominantly is law. I have only worked in litigation. So, I mean, another step back. I am from India and I moved to Ireland in 2019 and approximately, actually exactly four, four years and one month ago, 
Um, and when I moved to Ireland, well, I was I didn't know anybody. It was a very new country for me, but also very exciting. Um, now, in terms of my work, like I said, it was predominantly law and litigation, spe specifically human rights litigation. Uh, so when I moved to Ireland, my sibling moved a few months after me, and we were discussing about their wedding. Okay. Um, and this was 2020. And I started researching on the process of getting married in Ireland. And when I, uh, and I was trying to see if I can get the, get the paperwork done, but it was very complicated and the training was very expensive. And some of the organizations that I came across that do the training, their ethos and mind somehow clashed. For some reason, it didn't feel right. So I never went ahead with it. Um, and simultaneously, uh, a friend of mine who does stand-up comedy, I do stand-up comedy sometimes. Um, so she messaged me saying, by the way, I completed a training of being a celebrant. And I was like, where is it? Like with Entheos Ireland. And then I deep dived into Entheos Ireland and then I deep, and then sort of spiraled into looking up Karen, and I call it due diligence. My partner, <laughs> my partner calls it stalking. Um, but then I, I figured that our ethos kind of matched. But then I contacted Karen, and we had a conversation. And then I was like, why don't I train as well? And Karen provided me with the opportunity, and here we are. Mm, I remember that phone call. I was in my kitchen. And this amazing person phoned me, like completely out of the blue. I was like, oh, hello. And pre-introduced herself and, you know, dropped into conversations. She was, she was a human rights lawyer and mm -hmm. uh, all the research she'd been doing. And that, she, and that she was a comedian as well. And, you know, da, da, da. And, um, and she'd come by a Jen who was phenomenal. Such yeah. a phenomenal person too. Um, I was like, oh my God, like you're ticking all the boxes of amazing people in my eyes. And then Brie was like, and I've been, you know, basically she pretty much told me I have, she had dug up every possible piece of information on me that she could find on the internet and still wanted to come and train with Entheos. <laughs> so I was like, that's brilliant. I love that actually. Somebody came along and left no stone unturned in terms of what you wanted and, and having such high standards that you have. I know that you have such incredibly high standards around human rights, around social justice, around inclusivity, diversity, all of those values that we hold so dear. Um, Even introducing yourself there, I was like, Pre leaves no page unturned. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever you ask Pre, oh, can I get your opinion on this? Or can you look at this for me? It's always like, well, let me go that little bit extra. And it's just amazing. It's such a gift. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I am at that stage in my life where if I am going to spend time with somebody or be a part of that organization that better be aligned to who I am. Otherwise I do not have time for it. Um, mm -hmm. Because that is because I've like suffered through my twenties with like awful people and awful organizations and I've learned from my mistakes. So now people think people find it very intimidating and unapproachable in the beginning when I, when I try to do all the due diligence. But that is that pays off in the long run because it only fosters a more meaningful and deeper mm -hmm. relationship as opposed to having short term relationships and then burning bridges and going to the next mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. That's not what I have time or patience for. 
there's literally like you've just opened up so many areas that we can dive into. But I have to ask you, can you introduce your name the way you introduced it day <laughs> one of the training? Um, my name is very unpronounceable even to Indians. So I usually cut people a lot of slack. I, I'm not very attached to how people call me as long as I know that you're talking to me. I literally do not give a crap. Yeah. But uh, when the people here are very sensitive to, they get very scared about mispronouncing it uh, because they think that it would look racist probably. So then they are very specifically cautious and want to learn my name. So then this is, this is how I split up. It's pre like pre and post, mm -hmm. young like young and old, and ghee like a ghee bag. <laughs> I love it. It's so good. <laughs> I think the first time somebody... Uh, Somebody heard my name. Uh, they were like, oh, ghee is... I didn't even know what a ghee bag is. They're like, oh, ghee is, is slang in Irish. Like, it's, it's a bad word. They're like, what, what, what bad word is it? What does it mean? It means vagina. They're like, how is vagina a bad word? <laughs> it's, it's the strongest organ in a human body and it self-cleans. <laughs> I mean, and it creates a human being and then sort of comes back into shape like what more beautiful can it be and then Absolutely. I owned it as a part of my name yes that yes I'm a gee bag I love that <laughs> I just remember I think that was the moment everyone was like oh I I I love this person I'm on board like um it was just it was just such a great moment and it's something I always think about even at the start of this interview I was like nope I'm just gonna say pre because I just <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna get it wrong <laughs> So, but I had to circle back around to that. But I think another space that I'd love to dive into is you were talking about how you feel you aligned with the ethos of Entheus. And could you maybe speak a little bit on that? On like, what was it about Entheus that made you go, yeah, okay, this is the space for me to train in this area? Well, uh, there are two aspects. I mean, there are several aspects of it. The key aspect was... Um, I do not believe in any faith. Um, I do not believe in any, I do not believe in any um, organized religion rather, not faith. Um, and so that, that meant that I had to train as a secular celebrant. Now, as, as a law student, we have uh, studied the word secular very deeply in our first two, two years of law. And the jurisprudence of secular, there are two jurisprudence of secular. One is where you completely separate the church from the state, which means, in other words, you just exclude all religion. Secularism is equal to no religion. The other jurisprudence of secularism is all religion. I'm secular, which means that I don't really care what faith you follow. I respect it and I embrace it. Um, and personally, I have always believed in the latter. Okay. So to be a part of a secular organization that says that I don't care what my faith belief is, but as long as it's your event and you want those uh, symbolism and ritual, I am there for you to hold that for you. Mm -hmm. And that kind of aligned. And also the fact that there was no room for racism, ableism, homophobia, it's transphobia, etc., was what aligned mostly with me. 
I think you just articulated exactly what I try to get across to people when I'm talking about being part of Entheus and that idea of I want to show up for people and be able to facilitate a space for their faith. I don't want to like deny someone's faith and be like, no, no, I only do like my beliefs. I want to meet people and learn from them while still having my understanding of what my faith Mm. is or what I believe in, but having the respect to hold a space. And the way you articulated it there was really beautiful. And the fact Mm. that you can back it up with law. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I remember you sending me a text saying, I want to discuss uh, some of the secular piece with you and actually we never got to follow it up but I'm imagining now that that's what you were talking yeah. about and I'm like oh my god that is amazing because it mm-hmm. is a tricky topic for us because we are a religious body we're registered as a religious body so that we can be inclusive in the way that you've just described yes and in this country that's been classified under religious but actually under the jurisprudence you've just discussed it could equally be classified as secular um, inclusive secular so that's a really, really interesting point that we might tease out actually a bit further. Um, because in this country, the word religious comes with a lot of connotations of yeah. institutional religion. And that's not who we are or it's not who we want to be. Um, but we do want to be inclusive of people who do have a faith. Um, and especially people who've, who do have a faith and who have been ostracized by that faith path. Um, and also people who are secular. Um, because that's what inclusivity means, incorporating everybody and being able to serve everybody. Um, so, oh, more big conversations ahead. Yeah. Yeah, I think the fact that, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a matter of like a bureaucratic label where here religion means something else and everything else falls. Secular means something else and religion means yeah. something else. And for admin purposes, there are we two had polarities. To be, yeah. Yes. For admin purposes, we had to be included as religious organization and it, it comes with a very heavy meaning because when mm. it comes to religion I get very squeamish because of my experience yeah. um, but at the same time when I read the documentation that you had on your homepage about the GO within bracket OD in people mm-hmm. is what I believed in as well so it kind of synced in that the God is the good in people. Yeah. And um, and that made sense that that we were listed as religious. It doesn't, but it does. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because we're we are as much of a trauma informed organization as we can be. And the word religion carries a trauma for a lot of people. And we're really mindful of that as an organization. But it's not something that, that we can extrapolate ourselves from right now. But Potentially in the future, we may be able to just uh, to lessen that polarity between religious secular, because it seems to be for admin purposes in this country that they are a binary um, and you must be one or the other, where actually they can't be a binary because we're people, we're humans and humans live and flow somewhere between different points very often, unless, of course, you are part of a traditional faith path that is very clear about rules mm-hmm. and, and beliefs. Um, but yeah, we're middle ground people. Um, I think what might be interesting to look at and ask from your perspective, Pri, is a lot of the times when we're speaking about the trauma of religion, um, myself and Karen come from a Catholic background. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're talking about our experiences within that. However, we aren't only focusing on that. We're talking about religions as a whole, as organizations. And I, if you're happy to kind of share a little bit about your experience 
um, and your religious experience and how it brought you to your beliefs and your faith path now, would you be happy to kind of like explore a bit of that to give a different perspective um, as opposed to myself and Karen's? Sure. Um, so my family practices Hinduism and I come from um, the privileged caste. So Hinduism, there are several castes. My family background is from a priv- privileged caste. So I have not experienced casteism per se, but I have as, as a victim, but I have seen it being perpetrated, which did not bode well with me. Uh, and and in, in addition, obviously, the inherent sexism, the ableism, the, the, the traditional expectation of a femme presenting person and what the, of, of what the life path should be, uh, both professionally and personally, did not really bode well with me. But uh, in terms of Hinduism, I know it's very controversial. I don't know how people will take it, but the whole caste discrimination that upper castes people do and still do, um, even in the most progressive families, they come out during rituals such as weddings and funerals and birth, etc. I just didn't, um, I couldn't agree with it. So then I, I would ask questions mm-hmm. as to why, why this and why not that. And the answer would usually be because, uh, because our ancestors have continued to do it, so we continue. And it just didn't make any sense. Like, I mean, uh, rational, intellectual people following something just because somebody else started it. And, well, then I sort of detached myself and then I went to, I stepped away from home. I started reflecting on various aspects of life and who I am and what I want to be associated with. Did that experience help you to discover parts of yourself that maybe you wouldn't have discovered if you just nodded and said, yeah, okay, because is the answer? I don't think I was ever a person who said because it is so I will do it. Even as a child, I was very confrontational in terms of things that didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't think I would have ever gone down the path of... um, because somebody older told me to do it, so I have to do it. Yeah. But obviously the distance from home and experiencing various other cultures within my college and then the dawn of internet in my life and then experiencing more diverse type of culture um, and then working in human rights and speaking with various other professionals sort of led to the path where I am today. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. I think one thing that you said there, which I really liked, is I started asking questions. And I think that's always the best place to start. You know, whatever environment you're in, to figure an environment out like you figured out Karen before you (laughs) called her, you know, or, you know, just going and being like, right, I just need to ask the questions and then look for the answers that make sense. Um, That's kind of given me a little bit of clarity on things that maybe I can kind of approach and go, well, if I'm feeling uncomfortable, I'll just ask the questions and figure out what makes sense. I really liked that. I love the idea of you as a little child asking all those questions. Yeah. Because we've had the privilege of meeting your sibling. Yes. Um, And your parents must have got a lot of questions from you both as as children. Yeah. 
and I was I was a, I was the easier child. Oh wow! <laughs> um, I mean, both of us were very easier child. We, we didn't do easy children become rebel adults. <laughs> uh, whenever parents, new parents tell tell me, oh, this one is the difficult one, and this one is the difficult uh, easy one, I tell them, watch that one. <laughs> wait till they turn twenty five, twenty six. They're going to turn around and they're going to. <laughs> everybody has a quota of rebelling mm. and the the best part about being a rebel as an adult is you have the money <laughs> <laughs> so the yeah. money to help you out <laughs> so you can do whatever you're not fiscally dependent on parents <laughs> was um your brother's um marriage or him wanting to get married the only reason that you were looking to go into the world of ceremony or was it something that you had kind of thought about previously? I didn't know a path like this existed. Okay. I thought there would be like a paperwork kind of a situation where, uh, and then I realized that it's a whole whole ass profession. And I was like, <laughs> mm-hmm. okay, um, and and I did not really um, envisage what it would be when I started. I'll be honest, but when I did my first ceremony it was the child naming ceremony it was very interesting because um i've been working with victims of child sexual abuse for many years and i've worked with children and with their family members and um uh, so i have always intervened from a trauma point of view but to to be called upon from a joyous point of view was the first time in my life and i was like oh my god this is so refreshing <laughs> i i went and i slept i was so relaxed after that i slept for two days wow um <laughs> because to to need i mean obviously um life is not black and white some joyous occasions have sadness sad undertone some sad occasions have joy undertone uh but that's my job is not to address the trauma my job is to acknowledge it but at that on that day to acknowledge the whatever difficult moments the family was going through but focus on the joy of welcoming a child and i had never done that before and it was so refreshing i think it at, at on that day i realized how therapeutic this profession was going to be mm-hmm. for me oh my god i love that it's beautiful and that's what our training focuses on as well as yeah. helping people to develop that part of themselves that is comfortable in that setting where you can actually hold that role for families. Because I remember the testimonial they sent in for you as well was so beautiful afterwards. So you were holding, I mean, they were holding some kind of healing space that you were enjoying, but also that you were holding that space for them too, to actually celebrate their child and to actually welcome their child and um, yeah, and create that really, really beautiful healing space for everybody. Because mm. when you bring that as well, that polarity between what you had witnessed before versus seeing a healthy setup, um, and I love the fact that we can appreciate the diversity of what a healthy setup might look like. I mean, all families are different. Um, but yeah, I think this profession can serve the person so much more when you are engaged fully in it, wholeheartedly in it, rather than showing up with your script to just present a ceremony and walk away. Um, so yeah, oh, that's so gorgeous to hear you speak like that about it. I love I'd it. love to know, and um, because it sounds like you didn't come into the training going, great, I'm going to get my training, I'm going to be a celebrant, I'm going to know where I fit in this world. 
it sounds like you came in and you're like, hmm, I have questions. This is something I'm very interested in. Um, there's obviously something like your brother's marriage was, you know, a, something that you could be like, I'm doing this for a reason also. When, because I can kind of relate with that because I didn't come in going, this is it. This is my new profession. <laughs> um, I very came in very tentative. Um, so I'd love to know, was there like a series of events or was there any particular moment or moments that made you go, okay, like maybe that particular baby naming ceremony was a moment that you were like, this is something that I want to be part of my life and I feel I align with. I think as the training began to unfold, I realized that this is the kind of ceremony I wanted when I was getting married. And I was so annoyed that I couldn't go back in time and provide that space for me. Um, because I did not, so again, from Hinduism point, I, I do not come from, okay, two steps back. My, our wedding was interfaith wedding. So uh, my family practices Hinduism, my in-laws family, they practice Christianity. And I did not want a priest-led, a Brahmin priest-led wedding because, so in Hinduism, a Brahmin does the ceremony. A Brahmin is somebody who is just born into the family. Okay. And that's, that's pretty much the qualification you need to be a priest in, in, in Hinduism. And I just didn't want somebody to come and tell me their point of view of what a marriage is and how I need to serve and, and have babies and be a good wife, etc., etc. I just wanted somebody to stand there and say these two are getting married. Here's some music, here's some poems, and then go eat food and dance. <laughs> And that's pretty much what I wanted. And I, I couldn't I couldn't find anybody who would be willing to do it. Um, either somebody, they wanted me to convert to Christianity for the Christian Christian wedding, or they were like, no, we can't, we can't, we can't hold that space for you. Um, and when the training unfolded, I realized how this is exactly how I had envisioned my wedding, to be inclusive, to accept people who they are, to be mindful of, the person's need to not be so Hindu weddings are very loud and I mm -hmm. do not want something very loud uh, to be inclusive of that fact to be to be okay with alternate ways of existing and as it began to unfold I realized that I could hold that space just because I didn't get it I yeah. wanted somebody else to get it to mm. be to hold that inclusive space irrespective of your religion, of your disability, and just to focus on love that day. And love should be the focus and nothing else. Yeah. Not the differences. Mm -hmm. I think that's a lovely space to maybe go into talking about neurodivergence. Okay. Um, and just that's obviously something that's very important to you, Karen, that there mm -hmm. are celebrants similar to what we were speaking about with Died With Pride is that there's queer celebrants um, holding queer ceremonies. Um, it's also important that there's neurodivergent um, celebrants who are able to hold the space from a much, a much greater understanding. Um, yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of this organization existing is in order to be in truly inclusive 
And for me, the only way to be truly inclusive is that anybody coming towards us looking for a ceremony, that they're able to actually look at our panel of celebrants and find somebody from amongst that panel who resonates with them. Um, and when I looked at, you know, I say this with love, but when I looked at the, the celebrants that were available at the moment in Ireland when, I, when Entheos Ireland was founded, um, it was very cis, white, middle-class, middle-aged. That was what I saw. And I figured, okay, that's all well and good for people that match that demographic. But what if you are autistic? What if you are a person of color? What if you are a queer person? What if you are a person with a, an ability issue? What if you are a deaf person, a blind person? I think everybody should be able to have a celebrant who feels like a part of their own community or who feels like somebody that they actually really identify with. Now, obviously, I don't mean that everybody should have somebody that's like, you know, cookie cutter fits, mm-hmm. matches their worldview, but that they should have the option if that's what they want. Um, and I mean, actually, Priya, I'd love to even talk to you a little bit about this as well, because one of the things that I would love more of is to attract more, more and more and more diversity to this organization. Um, and I do find that our applicants tend to be cis, white, middle-aged, middle-class. Um, and the whole point of the organization is to have a scholarship program to be able to make this training accessible to people of a more diverse approach so that finances aren't in the way, so that travel isn't in the way, as much as we can. Um, so yeah, how do we do that? How do we dive into that? Did I take your question totally to a different question? Apologies. No, I think, (laughs) no, absolutely not. I suppose, Pri, if we hand it over to yourself, maybe a place to start is um, on that kind of idea of attracting people. If you're happy to talk about um, how you felt as a neurodivergent person showing up in the training um, and was that comfortable for you? Um, like what was your experience in the training as a neurodivergent person? And would you encourage people, um, who also have are neurodivergent to come and train in the way that we did? I think, um, when, when the training started by the tra- time the training started, uh, we had left Dublin and moved to Wicklow. So I was coming from Wicklow, um, staying over a day and then going back the next day. Um, So the two days back to back was a bit hectic and Mm -hmm. tiring because I'm a very active listener and I need to listen to everything a person's talking about. So by the time first day ends, and it's not just the training, even in conferences, after the first day, I just crash. The second day was tough. But second day, usually in the training structure as well, I think it was um, it was presumed that a lot of people would be tired on the second day. Usually used mm-hmm. to be a lot lighter than the first day. Yeah, yeah. It's a soft day. <laughs> yeah. And it helped that my sibling was uh, in Dublin, so I could crash with them as opposed to a random hotel, um, which was not only beneficial financially, but also like a safe space and a more mm-hmm. relaxed space and... They have a puppy, so it kind of <laughs> helps everything. <laughs> yeah, um, and and the puppy is also very neurodivergent, so we kind of <laughs> she's the dog version of me. Oh, I love rather that. Rather, I'm the human version of her. Uh-huh. Um, so it kind of helped me. Um, so yeah, so I mean, obviously, with everything, there are pros and cons, and yeah. these were this was this was what it was, but this was the only way we could make sure that everybody could attend and not miss. So 
Yeah. Um, I think that's an, an important part of the training is when you walk out of the doors and you go home, you do need mm. some downtime. Like we you always know, say, be careful walking out the door because yeah. the threshold of going from this space into the real world can be so jarring. Um, yeah. You walk into a busy street here on, on Thomas Street. Um, and something else is coming to me as you're speaking, Pre, because as far as I know, you are Ireland's only autistic celebrant. Um, and I'm wondering, I mean, in terms of diversity and celebrant of and non-denominational celebrant of colour, but sometimes I feel like we want to make this organisation more diverse and and draw more diversity towards us. And then I go, my pre is like five beautiful diversities rolled into one, and we want more of you. Um, but how do we how do we do that without without seeming like it's tokenism or without seem you know? That's the worry that I have sometimes is that. I want people to know that we genuinely want to draw them towards us for who they are. Um, and for, like, and that, that applies to everybody for who they are. I mean, that's very clear in our training that we say there's, there's clients for every celebrant who's out there willing to hold ceremonies. Um, but sometimes it's hard to put that out there without it sounding like tokenism, without it saying like we just we, we want people for their diversities rather than for who they are. I know, it's such a fine line. Yeah. Mm. Well, without doing any research on this subject, the first thing that comes to my mind is collaboration with organizations that work with the community. Mm. Um, for example, you, you work closely with Jenny. Yeah. Um, so to tell them that we, if they know somebody within the community uh, who wants to train as a celebrant, um, if you want autistic, then you have organizations like As I Am, Mm-hmm. you collaborate with them to say that if there are members of the community um, autistic people are so unemployed or underemployed that there would be somebody who is looking for a career change or looking for an opportunity or the right organization to train with where they will not be exploited so I think that would be one of the ways where mm-hmm. um, and then when we're off to a good start so yeah G- <laughs> like that's incredible <laughs> I'm like that's great advice. <laughs> and then once in a while, maybe showcase those those people. For example, um, five queer people in Entheos Ireland. And then have an article written. If you have mm. the socioeconomic capital of um, connections with journalists, then put them in touch with journalists and do like, like an interview on autism month or queer month or disability mm. month. We need more of that. Um, mm. and showcase them, give them give them the visibility. Because when it comes to these things, honestly, I believe that, I mean, diversity and inclusion has become such buzzwords, I don't mm. believe them anymore. So instead mm. of saying that we are diverse, you show that you're diverse. Mm. And these are some of the ways that you can show, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's, I think that is it. I think I, I would be very much of that belief that words mean nothing actions are what actually count and people can when they look at our organization and how we are in the world I do think that we walk the talk as much as we possibly can but there's always room for more at one point early on in the organization when I was like right I want I don't want to bring more of that you know cis white middle class middle-aged um celebrant we have enough of them I want I want difference and um and I say all this with all of my privileges as a cis white middle-aged middle-class uh woman um 
And I saw a person online who was very open about her um, disability activism. And I and really, I loved what she was doing. She was really, really out there. And at the time, she wasn't able to hold the legal aspect of a marriage ceremony. So she may, she may identify herself. I'm not going to identify her. But she, if she's listening, she may remember this. Because um, I went, wow, that's the kind of person we want in this organization. So I, I messaged her. And I said, listen, um, this is what I'm doing. I've set up this organization. Uh, I'm about to run a training. I would love if you'd join us. Um, and I was going to make it open to her and whoever, however it worked for her to come and join us. And it was not well received because she took it, I suppose, understandably, in hindsight. She went, who is this person contacting me out of the blue? Um, you know, with an offer that maybe sounded too good to be true. I don't know. But, uh, or I don't know what way she, I don't know what way she understood it. But anyway, she felt, oh, who is this person? Um, and... Yeah, it ended up getting into a little bit of a knot because uh, it was a misunderstanding in how I, I was genuinely saying, come join us. Um, that person felt there may have been a catch. And then I decided I will never do that again. <laughs> so from now on, I let people approach us rather than me go out there and actively approach. Um, but then comes the question of how do people know thing. that they yeah. can approach yeah. you if it's not something that they yeah. see? Because we don't advertise the training really, and that's another big part of it is because so many people are out there looking for a job that they can do, like they want to be a celebrant as a job. And that's not really who we're actively seeking. We want people who want to be celebrants um, from a social justice point perspective or from an activist, you know, coming from almost an activist perspective of, you know, wanting to change the world rather than just wanting to go out there and get paid to hold ceremonies. Um, so, yeah, we don't actually act advertise but obviously that then doesn't serve us when we actually really want to be more inclusive and attract people towards us mm-hmm. um it's like a counseling session out loud isn't it on air <laughs> <laughs> where are we going with this organization but i mean while it serves the purpose that you you are you want you don't want people to um come here from a business point of view but then the only way people will know is word of mouth Mm. And if word of mouth is the only way, then the people who know, they will attract the same kind of people. Yeah. So then you are stuck in the loop of yeah, true. cishet white yeah. people because cishet white people will attract cishet white people. Yeah. So then you're stuck in that loop. Yeah, it becomes an echo chamber. Yeah. Um, I think that ever since you said it is actually doing collaborations yeah. with other groups and opening up the space. We've already said that to Tenny, which is great because I don't know of any trans celebrants. Maybe there are trans celebrants, but I don't know of any. So we would absolutely extend that. And to, yeah. yeah. Something I was thinking about there, which, so like obviously with Died With Pride, we were talking about queer celebrants for queer communities. Um, But myself and Karen had further conversations where like allies are welcome to hold those communities. Mm. And similar to maybe neurodivergent celebrants holding ceremony for neurodivergent people, like I would hope maybe that there's the space where someone who's not neurodivergent could hold a ceremony. Um, but what I like about Entheus is there's people you can contact and be like, I'm holding this ceremony. Mm-hmm. Can you support and help me? Um, and I suppose my question for you, Pri, is if let's, for example, say I was holding um, a ceremony for neurodivergent and I know that that's very, you know, to just, it's only one word with a lot of different kind of, it's an umbrella kind of term, but like what areas would you advise me on maybe being more 
cautious around or what questions would you tell me to ask the couple or the family or even if there's just neurodivergent people within the guests mm. like what what could I be more aware of what could I be thinking of as someone who maybe hasn't experienced um that path I I would take two steps back and I would say that don't just think about um accessibility in the ceremony but right from the discovery call okay so um so again the disclaimer is that neurodivergence means so many different things yes i don't know the needs of all the community and even within autistic community i don't know the needs of everybody because it's different just just like non autistic people are different autistic people are different um some people are sensitive towards one thing but uh very less sensitive towards something else for example i am hypersensitive towards sound but not so sensitive towards smell i have like absolutely zero sense of smell <laughs> um so yeah so these these kind of differences exist but again there are two ways to think about accessibility people think about accessibility in two different ways one is let me design the structure and then sit down with a checklist and put in accessibility in between the other is to think about accessibility before even thinking about structure to give you um, an example um sort of a non policy example it would be like how you make chips right you season your chips before you make them that is the key step after you've made them made them no matter how much salt you add it simply does not taste the same similarly accessibility you think about accessibility before even having that interaction not as a hindsight mm-hmm. when you think about accessibility as a hindsight no matter how much you think of it it just doesn't reflect the same way it's like salt with potato fries <laughs> now in that in that regard for example if i were your client and we were doing a discovery call you would give me a whole bunch of information right this is the structure this is how we do but we can change it if up to you but this is the basic structure this is what we recommend at the fifth minute mark my brain is going to shut down okay so one of the ways that i would want you to interact with me is to have something written like a checklist or a powerpoint which isn't very formal need not have need not be formal but like bullet points so i know where the conversation is going and what to expect so my brain doesn't shut down so these are some of the things that we can do as a service provider to to ask them do you because uh, neurodivergent people also have a lot of health issues can you sit throughout the ceremony do you need to stand stand can can you do like 20 minute ceremony continuously or do you need to go walk around a bit or if if they have adhd and if they can't pay attention continuously how can we make sure that the ceremony is inclusive of them that they can sort of shake things up a bit and then come back and then focus again um allow people to walk around so that they are not jittery or anxious if some people i don't know what it's called jurit where they mm. Tourette's, Tourette's, yeah. Tourette's yeah. yeah. Let them. 
but don't mm. don't think it is um heckling so like let people be and one of the ways that we can do it is by leading by example so what i would say is listen i am autistic and chronically fatigued i may want to sit down for a few minutes mm. in between have a chair and then okay now i'm going to spend somebody's reading i'll just go sit down yeah. which yeah. will allow everybody else to also follow as opposed to saying this is a neurodivergent friendly space mm-hmm. yes you want mm. lead by example and i think for us in the training as well that's if you've you've said that so beautifully yeah because what we want is celebrants who exactly as you say assume a baseline of inclusivity that use inclu- inclusive language as standard um and not in response to you know oh this is a same sex couple i better change my language no that every ceremony uses inclusive language because we don't we shouldn't need to know what are the exact needs and diagnoses and orientations and whatever of the people in the audience that we are always using inclusive language that we're always on the alert i suppose for how can we be more inclusive as the baseline rather than reactively um and i it was lovely hearing you speak there about <laughs> the salt and the chips because mm-hmm. one of the real difficulties in finding this venue that we're in was in dublin the georgian vil- buildings are so inaccessible they tend to have steps they tend to have obstacles narrow doors and after a while i was really seeking a venue that w- would be like that that would like that accessibility came first rather than us get a venue and try to make that accessible um so trying to find a venue that was all on the flat was really 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 tricky um but it was so worth waiting for because otherwise we would have had to track back and try and say okay we have a venue apologies you're not going to be able to have your ceremony here because either one of the two spouses or because a family member has an accessibility uh, issue where they can't get up steps i could never envisage having to say to somebody you can't come in here that yeah. was that could never be the quality of the space it had to be one that can be accessible to everybody even down to the seating like i've seen wedding guests come in and worry in case because this, they see the chairs that are there in the space and the chairs look flimsy flimsy and they worry is that chair going to hold me so the chairs here are sturdy chairs so that nobody has to worry about that if somebody has a hip replacement that the, you know we will have a chair that's a little higher um and it's actually not that difficult to do this we need i think this is the change that more people need to be bringing into the world is to assume a baseline of just inclusivity um as far as you can and if you see something that needs needs a bit of thought to make it more inclusive that you you just do that you know that rather than make the person the problem that we actually try to anticipate what may be an issue and solve it before it becomes mm-hmm. something that is an issue that needs to be fixed because yeah. then a person starts feeling self-conscious and that's not what we want because guaranteed it will not be the first time they've spent they've felt self-conscious um i think and pre, that causes trauma yeah i think pre when you were speaking it made me go okay so showing up to like meeting people in the ceremony space or as you say on a discovery call or meeting them for the first time treated like you want to show up in the world so mm-hmm. if you have questions ask if people give you information um listen you know so it's just it goes back to that thing of show up in the world as you want and then show up as in the ceremony world as that same person so it's not this kind of like now i put my yes celebrant hat on now i'm going to um, be inclusive for the next yeah, exactly. for the next 30 minutes like yeah <laughs> because i think as well that that allows for you to make mistakes and then be able to say to the couple 
um, oh, I'm really sorry. I wasn't aware of that. Um, could you help me out here? Um, and when you were speaking, I really got this kind of feel of uh, back and forth energy, like uh, the couple will offer you information, you will offer them information, and you'll find ways of moving forward to become more and more inclusive. Um, so thank you. I really like, I feel like I learned something there. And, and I think the key information that I always value is I don't know everything. Mm-hmm. So I will learn. Um, yeah. I don't know everything about all the communities. I don't know what everybody in the world needs. It's mm-hmm. not humanly possible. <laughs> so just be willing to change and learn and not say things. I mean, I'm 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 mortified even thinking about the day when I will say this is how I have been so I can't change. I just mm-hmm. can't envisage that day. Just take a gun and shoot me. Yeah. If I ever say that. Okay. Like can't imagine you saying <laughs> that. <laughs> uh, you never know. Never you never say know never. though. It's true. Yeah. Never yeah. say never. Uh, and it's just it's it's just that like continuously learning new things and changing and adapting yeah. to different experiences of life, to exposure to different people in life. And I think as like being a queer person and someone who wants to create a space for queer people to get married. I'm so aware that I'm not, you know, just because I'm queer and I've had my queer experience, that doesn't mean I understand every single person's queer experience within the community. And that's the same for being neurodivergent is you're really showing up to meet the person, you know, and meet their needs and what they want and how to make that happen for them. And I suppose maybe that's being inclusive Mm. is being like, I'm meeting the person. I'm not meeting the neurodivergent person or the queer person or, you know, the person with the disability. I'm just meeting the person and we're going to figure out our flow and our relationship and being open and respectful. When I um, when I have a call with a couple before the before our first call, um, I have a questionnaire and on the questionnaire, I, I can't think of how it's worded now, but it's something along the lines of, is there anything you'd like me to know about you two during the ceremony um, in terms of neurodivergence or physical um, abilities. And it's amazing what people put on there. Even very simple things like, I'm, I'm very shy and my partner is very extrovert and we're not sure how to manage this. Um, mm. Or, you know, they may say one of us has ADHD and one of us has whatever. Um, so, but there's all these different ways that these are lovely subtle qualities that really help the celebrant understand what's going on in the space and what and to anticipate how either spouse may be feeling during the ceremony um, and I think again in this organization on this podcast even we know that more there's people listening outside of our organization and I think we don't want to be the only celebrants doing this we want this to be a baseline for for everybody as much as we possibly can um, so I think even those pieces that you've just shared there about how to be more accessible and and people are so fascinating like when people will tell you in advance so many things about themselves and when we're open to hearing that it just really changes the quality of the interaction that we can have with people on all these different levels and it just makes me get all excited about buzzed. people <laughs> yeah, all buzzed. it's really interesting because i've never done a questionnaire before meeting a couple because my take for myself has always been like i just want to it's usually on zoom so mm. meet them on zoom and just meet them as 
you know, yeah. two people, like I'm meeting them in a coffee shop, meeting them on the street, meeting them on Zoom because it's 2023. <laughs> and I've always taken that approach and just being like, I like meeting people. I like figuring out the flow of our energy um, how we kind of resonate. But actually hearing you talk about that specific question, is there anything else you need me to know to make the ceremony more comfortable comfortable for you? That makes me go, that's a really safe space for them to do it. Mm. You know, rather than, well, I don't I don't yeah, even ask that it, in it, the it call. It come in conversation. And actually, yeah. as you're speaking, Ferg, because um, I know Pri, we've discussed this before, I, I'm a person exploring the idea of possibly being a degree of neurodivergent in terms of ADHD or something like that. So for me, I will say here that the reason I do a questionnaire beforehand written out is because, especially when I'm busy, I can't remember the details, the finer details of each couple when you have a call in the very beginning and then it comes to a year later and you're about to hold their wedding ceremony. It is so helpful for me to be able to go back and actually see things written down that help me to build back the picture in my mind of who this couple are. Mm -hmm. Um, So for your own sake, it may actually be really, really helpful just to have that that written down um, memorandum of of your first call with them. Well, it's just good organizational mm. skills, isn't well, it? I don't have good organizational <laughs> skills. <for laughs> it actually would be so I'll say handy. That straight out, I don't. Rather than my messy journal of notes. These are all yeah. These are ways <laughs> that I've figured out for me anyway of um of being able to help myself, help my future self yeah. a little bit. Um, but it also it helps it. the client because then they they also get to gather their thoughts before mm, the call yeah. and they know what the call is going to be like. And in addition, uh, one of the things that I find helpful is send the picture of the person they are going to speak with. I mean, obviously, yeah. if they have found you through social media and they know what you look like, they're less anxious. They know already what you look yeah. like. If it is somebody absolutely unknown, uh, have a picture of you. This is what I look like. This is time. This is these are the topics we're going to talk about. And I think anyone are, would feel safe. Yeah, these are that. the things that you. I would want you to think about before we enter the call, so that they are not conscious about what we're going to talk about mm-hmm. and what if I don't have all the answers right now. Yeah, you can help allay that yeah. anxiety in advance. It's interesting because I've thought about that around ceremony, and something I always say to the couples is, we will do however you want your ceremony to look. We're going to do it. It's yeah. going to be great. But I do always say, let's lean upon some of the elements or structures that people are familiar with because we don't want f- people to feel jarred within a ceremony. Yeah. Yeah. And people like being like, oh, there's a reading and they know the vows and people know the ring exchanges or, you know, the eulogy yeah, for... The landmarks. The yeah, ceremony. the landmarks, exactly. But actually, it's really helpful for me to think about that on a discovery call is how do I make this place safe because you do get that moment I kind of always give two options do you want to talk to me first or do you want me to talk to you (laughs) um but actually if there's a little um protocol I suppose before we both go in then you can just kind of be like okay we know what we're doing here I really like that I mean some people like that there is nothing written and things are flowing uh, but in terms of like, because you were asking how to make it neurodivergent friendly mm-hmm. for a neurodivergent couple, they would, again, not everybody's the same, but if they were anything like me, they would want more structure. Yeah. I suppose though that's an option is sending them a questionnaire and being like, you don't have to fill this out. You can equally come on and just meet mm-hmm. me on the call, like giving them the option. But if this is something that will help you, great. Pre, what else would you like to share with us? What else would I, I like love when sh- people talk about what they... What they're passionate what the about, passion or what's what's on your mind, Pri? 
I think um, I think the fact that Antios Ireland is open to diversifying the register of solemnizer is mm. very, very good. Um, like you said, if you look through the list after the first 500 pages, which is by only one kind of <laughs> one organization. Uh, Catholic Church. And then it's just one kind of people, right? Mm. And uh, and there are some people of color of different faiths sporadically here and there. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to, and those are single faith yeah. organizations. Uh, but when it comes to uh, multi, multi-faith organization, and that is the path that Ireland is going towards right now, mm-hmm. Uh, multicultural, multi-faith organization to have more different kinds of people who look different, who are different, and to just provide, as Renee said in her in her episode, to just have that option of somebody who is similar to you should be the norm. To have suppliers who are similar to you mm-hmm. be the norm as opposed to be the exception, mm-hmm. and to be open to accommodating different kinds of things within the ceremony um, mm-hmm. and to learn. I think it will be very interesting to learn different kinds of ceremony rituals as I go along and have a re- repository of different ceremony enhancers, which I'm really excited about, mm-hmm. and readings. Yeah, collecting them. I am not a very poem person because poems are very symbolic. And I don't understand symbolics. I'm a very uh, matter of fact, no reading between the line person. But I'm beginning to read poems now. And I'm like, hmm, it's not that bad. <laughs> <laughs> mm. um, Pri, thank you so much for coming in today. Um, do you want to let people know, we'll pop them in the notes, but your newly launched Instagram celebrant page. Okay. How do yeah? How do the people find you? Um like before we do that, I, I, one more thing that I wanted to add is that be aware of intersectional identity. For example, if I am neurodivergent, a white person neurodivergence experience, mm-hmm. a cis person's neurodivergent experience, and my neurodivergent experience may not be the same. So that intersectional challenges are real and to acknowledge that and to be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and regarding my Instagram, it's currently celebrate with Priyangi. I'm starting to market, which I absolutely hate. I do not. <laughs> I'm more of a show, don't tell kind of a person. Yeah. So I like to work and then I I just fuck off. I don't want to talk <laughs> about it. Uh, like, and we've just got you talking about it for all this time. I know. Um, I mean, but this is different. It's still like, it doesn't feel like I'm marketing. I'm just mm. talking to you both. Yeah. But like Instagram page where it's like active marketing where look how great I am. It's just not my job. It's a tough area. Yeah. yeah. But here I am doing it. But you being you says how great you are. Yes. I'm going to give you that lovely compliment because you're amazing, Free. And we're so like, so glad to have you in the organization. And what's amazing is we can say that about everybody in our organization because yeah. we That's have amazing true. people. That's yeah. true. Um, oh, but it's been, I've learned so much even listening to you just there today. I know I feel like I need to go home and like rework my whole business model. No, you don't, Virgo. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? In a good way. Just like the little things like um, the questionnaire or how I approach a discovery call or there's like really good little tips that 
not, okay, not rework, yeah, but yeah. add into what I'm already doing. I just feel like, yeah, you've given me some a lot of food for thought to continue to open up the kind of inclusivity um, space within my own work as a celebrant. So thank you for that. I really, do, I really appreciate that. Oh. Yeah. Um, and thank you for coming in today. <laughs>